Acts chapter 8, and we've been in a series of messages chasing the church, real church, uh, through the book of Acts. And it's been a very interesting series, and we're not done with it yet. I do believe that we have uh, before us right now, we're going to take a sidebar and we're going to look at some conversions in the Bible. And I believe they to be important on, uh, on, on the topic of getting saved or being born again. The world uses that term so loosely today. Uh, they use the term Christian very loosely. And the Bible has a complete different definition for Christian than what we give it. In the Bible, Christian means to be Christ-like. The Bible also declares that they were first called Christians in Antioch. And we'll, we'll get to that and we'll preach on that. And we'll see what God has for us. Now this morning, we're going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch and his conversion and I believe that it'll give us insight. And what I see that the Holy Spirit emphasizes here in this portion of Scripture, which is a very important subject, is this word believe. And you see I've got it spelled out behind me. And there's a reason I've spelled it that way. We, I do, do also believe that we live in the dumbest age ever. In years gone by, people, it was not uncommon for people to be able to speak multiple different languages and they understood words and the etymology of words. Now today we have all this information before us, but yet we're ignorant and we've allowed the devil to confuse us or to change definitions of words and so this morning we'll be focusing primarily on this word believe and this is what philip the evangelist who is another deacon and the early church uh is is what he preaches to this ethiopian eunuch and let's get it here and about verse 26 and they're they're coming off of a great revival down in Samaria. When we left the church last week, they had come under severe persecution. And so they had been scattered, and we talked about the persecuted church. And what does God's people, which are saved and born again, that make up the church, how do they respond to persecution? How do they respond when those that are in authority... Uh, have the legal authority to begin to try to shut the church down or to chase Christians and hunt them down. Well, you keep preaching the gospel. But you might have to move. And that's what this early church did. And Philip found himself down in Samaria. And of course, he started a revival campaign. And souls begin to get saved and born again. And it was so powerful that they had to send Peter and John down there to help the evangelist Philip uh, with this uh, campaign. And now the Lord says this in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, 
queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. He was returning and sitting in his chariot. He read Isaiah the prophet. And then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself, of some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, if you have a 1611 King James, verse 37 is there because... It was in the Word of God originally, but if you're packing an NIV, an RV, an ASV, or a numerous other versions, they leave out verse 37. The number's there, but the verse won't be there. And you say, why is the number there? Because they can't deny that even in the manuscript they were using, it was there also. And they made a choice because they're full of the devil to leave this verse of Scripture out, which is one of the clearest verses of Scripture in your Bible, that water baptism will not save you. Watch what happens. Boy, the devil's slick, ain't he? And Philip said, as he wants to get baptized, and Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, no sprinkling involved. See your Bible, how clear it is? They go into the water. They come up out of the water. The Bible teaches immersion, not sprinkling. Never, never does your Bible talk about sprinkling. That is something that man has come up with, listening to doctrines of devils and those spirits. But in your Bible, and this is why your pastor is chosen to get us back in alignment. Not that we were out, but this is how you stay from going out of alignment is you make sure and check the alignments. This is why we baptize by immersion because that's how we find it in the scriptures. We're biblicists. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip the eunuch and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord called away Philip 
that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was founded as Ostas, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, help us today. Now, Lord, help me to be able to accurately, correctly, and compassionately explain about this word that we find in the Bible called believe. The devil has changed the definition of this word today where people think that to believe just means to mentally assent, to mentally acknowledge. And the Bible's usage of this word is so much more powerful. And if an individual does not understand that, the devil could keep them blinded and they can split hell wide open today is the day to let the gospel light shine so that people that have been deceived to think that they're born again because all they've done is mentally assented. Oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But they have not believed with all their hearts. Oh, Lord, let the Holy Spirit of God work in those hearts today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. The church is now at 52,000 people. Great persecution. The word the Bible used was Saul made havoc of the church. That means he was bringing it to a ruin. He was scattering it. He was coming in and dragging people off and feeding them to the lions and taking and putting his voice to have them killed. If you was to read history, you would see that many, many Saints of God have given their life for the simple belief that Jesus is God and that they was going to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with their whole heart and they were not going to deviate from that path. Therefore, the devil, when God gets in it, the devil gets in it. And when God begins to move, the devil begins to move. And the devil's trying to destroy this church in its early stages. But then the scene kind of turns. Uh, he doesn't focus really on the persecution. These early Christians were not victims. Uh, they weren't running around viewing life from the perspective of what they couldn't do. They were viewing it and operating from the perspective of what can I do for God? And we see them, they keep serving God. And then the Lord takes Philip the evangelist. And he runs him out into the desert in the middle of nowhere because God wanted to save this Ethiopian eunuch. I said some weeks back, probably a couple weeks, that uh, many people believe that Cornelius is the first Gentile to get saved in the New Testament church recorded. And that could be true. It, maybe it is. And I've said that myself because that's what I had heard and it's what I've studied and what I've been taught. But this man here gets saved and the Bible's clear to say he's an Ethiopian eunuch. But it also says that he was a proselyte Jew. It doesn't use those words, but it says he was coming to Jerusalem to worship. So he was religious. 
And, and he was keeping the Old Testament law. He was living his life according to the light that God had given him. He knew nothing about this Jesus. And he was also, so he's very religious. He was very faithful and available and teachable. I guarantee you he was a tither also. I threw that in. It's not in the text, but I threw it in there. <laughs> to make the point that he was, he believed in God. He was a proselyte Jew. So it would still be accurate if you still wanted to say that Cornelius is the first Gentile that has been recorded that gets saved in the New Testament. I could handle that because this Ethiopian appears to be a proselyte Jew. So we see this man, religious, a Bible reader, operating in the light that God has given him. This Ethiopian eunuch was doing what he knew was right to the best of his ability with the light that he had. Now listen, he was not complaining about the light that he did not have. If God has given you candlelight, then use it to the best of your ability. Too often we complain about our inabilities. And we've yet to maximize our abilities. We're not even to the end of our abilities that God has given us. Therefore the devil is able to get in there on that ground because we give him place by viewing this uh, life well, I can't do this because I'm not the smartest person in the room. Uh, my father was clear to tell us, boys, at an early age, you're never probably going to be the smartest person in the room. You'll have to get used to living with that truth statement. Don't let it stop you. Just keep your mouth uh, shut a little more. That was a hard lesson for me, learning how to keep my, my mouth shut. And so I had many lessons that uh, father taught me how God had created us with two ears and one mouth, meaning that we must listen twice as much as we talk. Of course, I said, what happens if my mouth is bigger than both my ears put together? <laughs> that didn't go over well. <laughs> yeah. We need to get into this habit of operating the light that God has given us. God had given this Ethiopian eunuch candlelight. That he was doing what he thought was best according to the scriptures. We know he was a Bible reader. He's reading the book of Isaiah while the chariot is running down the road. So we see this. And I'll give you a verse on that about operating in the light God has given you. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. So often we say, well, I'm just not going to do it because I can't see the whole picture. Uh, I, I, I can't do it because I'm only seeing a small portion of the room. Sometimes uh, uh, we as people... Uh, we've we got to understand that in time, we can't see everything that's in our future. 
but God can. And sometimes we're upset with the way God is leading us because we're looking through a keyhole in time, which is generally the presence, and we see such a small space there into the next room. And we must learn how to trust God, and we must learn how to maximize or to max out our abilities and the light that God has given us. So if God has given you candlelight, use the candlelight to the best of your ability. And when you reach the maximum limit on that, then God, like he did this Ethiopian eunuch, will send by Philip the evangelist to help you in your inability. Because this Ethiopian eunuch says, I can't understand what I'm reading. Some man, somebody is going to have to explain it to me. And that's why God, Philip didn't know why God put him down in the, in the desert. Philip didn't know he was going to meet the Ethiopian eunuch. And sometimes God speaks to us and says, you go there. And that part is clear. But you don't understand the why and the when. But God will reveal that in his time. And he tells Philip, join yourself to this man. And he does. And he says, let me see what you're reading. He could hear. He was reading Isaiah 53. That's what he was reading. And it's about a passage about Christ, about the work that he did for us on Calvary, where he says, by his stripes are we healed, uh, and how he shed his blood, and that we are like sheep that were prone to wander and prone to go astray. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture about salvation and the work of the Messiah. And Philip takes that verse. He didn't use the Romans road. <laughs> Hadn't been written yet. <laughs> what I'm saying is you could just about take any passage of Scripture. And it has been told me, and I do believe it, great men of God, it says that every verse of Scripture in this Bible, if you meditate on it long enough, you can find Jesus in that verse. I agree with that. And so Philip, here's what he's reading. And he says, and he preached unto him Jesus. Because the Bible is clear to say, how shall they hear without a preacher? Preachers are important. And so Philip, he begins to preach this young man Jesus. This Ethiopian eunuch didn't know anything about Jesus. Maybe he heard rumors, maybe he didn't. I'm saying he didn't know nothing about it. He was sticking with the Old Testament law like so many Jews were. But he was having trouble reconciling this passage of Scripture. And then Philip says, Oh, let me tell you about what has just happened and what God is doing. There was a man who was born of a virgin, Mary. And she brought forth a firstborn son, whose father was God. And he lived his life and he had an earthly ministry. And he started this thing called church. And he began to reconcile mankind to himself, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Then he gave his life. He paid the sin debt of the world. He, he, he did so much more. It was a new and better covenant than the Old Testament law. Not that it's not important. Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to enforce the law and to fulfill the law for you and I because we couldn't keep it. 
He said he was crucified. And then he was buried and he rose again the third day. And today he is seated on the right hand of the Father. And apparently he told him about following the Lord in believer's baptism because the eunuch says, well, here's water. What hinders me to be baptized? This man is all in. And Philip halts him because this Ethiopian eunuch says, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, I'll tell you what will stand in your way of water baptism. And I believe many people today have been baptized in water, but they were not born again. And Philip says this in verse 37, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And then he answered, and watch what he's going to do. He's going to confess with the mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You say, what did he say? He's saying that he agrees and he believes, there's no doubt in him, that this man Jesus, who Philip was preaching and explaining to him what Isaiah 53 was talking about, is the Son of God. He is the promised Messiah. He is God manifested in the flesh. And he puts his trust in them. But we must learn something more about this word believe. What does it mean? And so I printed some things out because I want to talk about the etymology, which is the origin and, and, and the progression and how this word was used in history. And remember, the King James Bible that you have before you is from 1611, when the English language was in its purest form. So through the years... There's been this process of changing the meaning of words. We're seeing that going on today where uh, uh, men are not men. They're changing the definition of what is a man. They're changing the definition on what is a woman. That's demonic. That's of the devil. It's not right. And so the devil is getting more bold. But before he got uh, confusing people about genders... He changed the meaning of the word believe. And so, this word, it's the key to every aspect of the Christian life. It's the word believe. Unfortunately, there has been this erosion of the meaning of this word so that the meaning becomes changed. Because the common religion or the common religious use of this word today is to agree with. To hold to be so, kind of like when you say, I believe it might rain. It doesn't mean you really believe that. But you use the word. We use the word. It means you would mentally assent to, maybe I could tell you a fish story. And my fish seemed to grow over the years, you know. Uh, the fish I caught a couple years ago, they're now that big, you know. And you might say, man, I believe you, I believe you, and I'll show you a picture. You know how Roland Martin used to make every fish he caught, it could be 14 inches, but he'll hold it out in the camera in such a way, the thing looks like it's a 10-pound bass. And you're like, wow, yeah, and I'll show you the picture because I've read his books and followed him, and I know how to do all those little tricks, and I put it out there and have someone take a picture, and I've got this fish that's really only about 2 pounds or 3 pounds, but in the picture it looks like it's a 6, 7-pound bass. 
You say, man, I believe you, preacher. And under your breath, you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> Just something's fishy about that. So, the word is an Anglo-Saxon word. Its use as it was employed by the translators was a far stronger word. The root word, leave. I've separated. This is a two-part word. Leave, L-I-E-V-E. It's an old word. It comes from the same root word, love. It has the idea of wanting to go along with. The word love means a desire to go along with. And it meant to be in accordance with. If you loved somebody, you wanted to walk with them. You desired to share with them. Love has another form. It's called leave. And this means in accordance with. The first part of this word be, the be, that's a word in itself. And it means to exist or a state of being. So to believe would be to pledge life in accordance with. It would mean to pledge your life to go along with and to adopt Jesus Christ. See, it's, just, it's more than just a mental ascent of the mind. And so the devil has allowed this confusion. He's the author of confusion. And so people, because they turn leading Christ into a sales pitch, you believe that, don't you? Just believe that. Say this little prayer. Say these few little words. And yeah, let's go dunk you in the baptismal pole. And why they want to do that is, number one, they want to count so they can brag about how many people they've won to Christ. But number two, how many new members in their church they have. Now, they won't be sitting in the pews, but I'll tell you this, they sure got them baptized. And then we can't figure out why people don't want to live godly. We can't figure out why people don't want to live for God and come to church and read their Bible and pray and love one another. We can't understand what is wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. You've allowed the devil to blind you to the true definition of this simple word. It's a two-part word. It means to exist, to be in accordance, and to pledge your life and to go along with the, the commandments and the teachings or to be a follower of Christ. You're not going to deviate from it. It is your main thing. Jesus is the center of your life. In England... In the 17th century. This is an illustration because this is around the time that this word was being used. And you need to understand this. This is also goes into with Bible hermeneutics. This is not an American Bible. This is not uh, an Americanized Bible. We're not to Americanize our words. And as our culture drifts and they change the meaning, we don't go back to the Word of God and say, well, when He says He created Adam and Eve was a man, maybe He wasn't. No, God doesn't change. We don't change the definitions of the words in God's Word because the culture has changed them. We must align ourselves back to the Bible. So England in the 17th century, there would be a free man living on his plot of ground. 
trying to make a living, but without possession of arms or horses or soldiers, dependent on a lord or an earl for protection. So the time would come when some kind of national or international disturbance would threaten the peace of this man. And he would have to decide what would be in his best interest. And the call would go out that the Lord or the Earl was taking volunteers and deciding that it would be to his advantage to throw his weight in with the Lord. He would go to the Lord's estate and he would take the gold coin of this nobleman. And by this means, he would identify himself with the one he now pledged to serve. And thus returning home, he would declare that he had believed on his Lord. Now this meant that he had put himself in accordance with his Lord. And he would walk alongside with his Lord. By so doing, he had pledged himself to obey. And he was ready to leave his home and his family when he was called. He was willing to accept all the duties of a soldier and all the consequences of war. He had pledged himself. He had believed. That's the proper definition of this Bible word. That's what was in the minds of the translators when they used this old Anglo-Saxon word to translate the Greek word for believe, which means to commit yourself to. It's an act of committal, a pledge of oneself. And you can see the reason why this word has great significance. Believe means a committal of one's life. It means a committal of one's property. It means a committal of one's person and past to the one you have believed in. You can now see the reason why they chose the word and its proper meaning. This was written by Parrish Reedhead, a great expositor of the word of God. He did a tremendous work just on that word, believe. And as I begin to meditate on that and think about that, he's right. And he lived in an age gone by, but the devil has taken that word and confused people into thinking that the word believe is just to mentally assent to. And then I'm going to go on my way. I don't care about God no more. I don't care about the Bible no more. I don't care about praying no more. I don't care about the church no more. I'm not going along with Jesus or the Bible. And they get mad. You'll have a baby Christian getting mad. When you tell them they got to read their Bible, pray every day, uh, learn to give to God and be a servant for God. You say, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that. That person has not believed with all his heart. He's just mentally assented that Jesus is real. He's at demon level faith. But he does not have a living faith. He has a dead faith. That means he tells you He's a Christian, but he's dead in his works. He does not live for God. He does not work for God. He doesn't care about God. They're cold on God. And this Bible's clear to say, if you do not believe, and that word believe is your state of being, is fixed and pledged to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but there's something 
that has been down inside of me since I got saved as a six-year-old boy, that when I miss church, it bothers me. It bothers me. And when I don't read my Bible and forget to on a day, it bothers me. And it bothers me until I confess it and I get in the book. Some people don't have that. They don't care. Remember last week I said, many people ask this question, how do I know if I'm saved? That's the wrong question. How do you know that you're lost? That's the question. So, what did Philip mean? You believe that God is real? I believe Jesus is real? I believe the Bible is true? Well, that's demon-level faith. Believe as in, I have no argument against this knowledge, so I shake my head yes, while in my heart there's doubt. I've heard people say, you know what, I'm going to call out on God. And then they get in the, they're calling out on God and say, now if you are who you are, you're not getting saved with that. Well, if you. And then they sit down with their arms folded and say, okay, God, do your best work. That's not salvation, people. The devil's been playing with your head. You know, what did he mean? He meant that how we, t- how we mean it. When we say, I believe it might rain. I believe we might have a hard winter. It doesn't mean you really believe that. So what did Philip mean? If thou believest with all thine heart. You see, I believe the Bible will back up what I've just declared. And we're going to run some scripture. But I want you to see something else. As I begin to study this, and you know my heart, I've always wanted to teach a series of lessons on our English language and the beauty of it and why certain words are spelt the way they are. You look at that word believe up there. What's the middle letter in that word? It's I, isn't it? Do you know what the middle letter is in the word faith? It's I. Do you know what the hieroglyphic or the pictogram is for the letter I? It's the tree of life. It's a tree. It's a tree. It's a tree. What tree was in the middle of the Garden of Eden? Tree of life. What did Christ die on? A tree. Where was that tree? In the middle. You see, there's a whole lot to our language that we don't understand. This word believe in your Bible, that I in the middle of that word believe, stands for the tree of life. That's Calvary's tree. And when you trust Christ, You're going to have to believe. That means to pledge yourself, your whole mind, body, and soul to the Lord Jesus Christ who gave His life for you on the tree of life, which is the I in the middle of the word believe. Maybe you didn't know your Bible was that unique. This Bible is supernatural. 
It's a living book. And the devil is working hard to confuse us on these little words. You see, Philip preached unto him Jesus. So my question now is, does the Bible back up that claim about the word believe? Well, take your Bible to Romans chapter 10. Go to the right, to the next book, Romans chapter 10. About verse 9. Watch what the Scriptures does. He's telling you doctrinally how to be born again. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, look at this title, the Lord Jesus Christ, or the Lord Jesus. That's why you need to follow along your Bible. I'll add something there. But you get the picture. That's a title. That means he's God manifest in the flesh. Lord Jesus is a title. And shall believe in thine heart. Uh-oh. He used that word believe. That God is raising from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart. He tells you where the emphasis is. It's not a believe as in to mentally assent. Like, preacher, you preached a good sermon today. I don't really have no information or Bible to go against it. But you don't truly believe it. Because people, remember this, people always act upon what they believe. People always act upon what they believe. Always. Always. Someone tells you they're a Christian, but yet they never go to church. They don't ever read their Bible. They don't ever pray. They don't ever tell others about Jesus. They don't ever get excited about the ministry of reconciliation. They didn't believe with the heart. They've believed with the head. It's not real to them. He says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Do you see that? The word unto, to denotes direction. You started in sin, but when you believe with the whole heart, your direction now is unto righteousness. You're going to live right. You're going to talk right. You're going to do right. That's what your Bible said. That word unto, it's spelt that way for a reason. The U-N denotes humility under, under Christ, unto. So in humility, on a direction toward righteousness. It doesn't mean you're righteous. But it means you're in the process because Christ is renewing you by the transforming of your mind. He's starting on the inside and he's going to work out unto righteousness. And he wants to transform you into the image of God's Son. That's what happens when you become born again. When you've believed with your whole heart. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Now I want you to take your Bible to John. John, chapter 1. Remember Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus. That's in John 3. 
And Nicodemus was another religious man who thought he was saved. And he tells Nicodemus, this is where we find John 3, 16. I'll quote it while you're heading to John 1. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, there's that word again, believeth. Nicodemus believed in God. Nicodemus believed in the Bible. Oh no, whosoever believeth in Him, who? The Son should not perish but have everlasting life. What was Jesus saying to Nicodemus? You're going to have to stop pledging yourself to the law, the jewelry. You've got to pledge yourself and go along and come into accordance with me and have an existing state of being. Believe. Now, chapter 1, verse 12. Now, the Bible uses words to describe so we can understand what other words mean. Now, look what he does. Verse 10, he was in the world, talking about Christ. And the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, remember Part of believing is receiving the king's coin. Remember that? You're going to receive something. You're pledging yourself to Christ and you're going to receive something. This Bible says when you're born again, you receive God's seal and God's coin, which is the Holy Spirit of God who's going to now live down inside of you. And you're promising to show up for roll call. You're promising that in the battle that we're in, and it's a spiritual warfare, that you're lining up with God's children because you've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ I hope that's your state today but as many as received him you're going to have to receive him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe he's used the word receive in the same context of belief and he's painting you a picture in your mind that believing is not just a mental extent but it is a receiving it's a pledging of allegiance to Christ and this is a lifelong commitment now take your Bible to 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 I believe this will sum it up Verse 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Now that's Old English. Constrain means He's going to guide you and work with you. Just like He was with Philip, the evangelist. He calls him to go down into the Gaza, to the desert. That was God constraining him. God was in control. God should be in control of your life. When you're getting ready to do something that God doesn't want you to do, there should be something down in there that constrains you. And when you're getting ready to do or not do what you're supposed to do, there should be something down in there that constrains you. You better get on that for God because you've pledged yourself to Him. I don't know about these people that you tell them what God says and they're telling you they're saved. They say, well, I just don't believe that. 
You're right. You said a mouthful. You're right. Based on what? I had that conversation. Based on what? How I feel. Well, I got news for you. How you feel ain't getting you into heaven. Now let's read on. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. Talking about someone getting saved. You're not, you're not saved to live to yourself, but unto him. Oh, he's talking about that word believe, being going along in accordance with, which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now, henceforth, know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Yes, he's adopted the king's coin. He's a now a citizen of heaven. And Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and is now going to tell him what to do and when to do it. He's your God, not you. Old things are passed away. That old life. Take your Bible quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because I feel led of the Spirit to do this. I wasn't going to, but I am. I'm going to take the time to do it because I'm coming into the conclusion. Let me ask you a series of questions. You answer them to yourself. When you believed... Did you believe with all your heart? Did you understand that meant to pledge your life to? To go along with the precepts of God and what God has commanded us to do. And have you even taken the time to find out what that is? You say, I don't like your tone. I'm not trying to have a tone. But let me tell you something. Preaching on hell and heaven and where you're going is a very serious business. And if I did not be in a, and was not in a serious frame of mind, I would not be worth my salt. This is serious business, folks. There's a lot of people. Charles Spurgeon said that 80% of the people that was in the church in his day had not had a born-again experience. Oh, they had believed. They had mentally assented. They were good Christians, but they were lost as a day is long because they had no intention of going along with God. They had not pledged themselves to God. It's like, oh, no, I just... The preacher just said, hey, say this, repeat after me. You got it. Maybe the preacher said, oh, no, just, just shake my hand. I've heard them say that. Jump in the baptismal pool. We'll count you. You're a member of our church. You're saved, buddy. No, you're not. If you found your place to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. So here's the question. How do I know I'm lost? Because the Bible just told you when you believe, and you accept Christ with your whole heart. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. So here's the question. How you live in your life? Who's in the center of your life? Watch this. How would I know that I'm lost? See, but preacher, I, I let a preacher lead me to Christ. I don't care if there's not been change. You didn't get it. You've heard of stillborns, ain't you? Mm-hmm. Watch this. Know ye not, verse 9, that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. 
He's saying people could be deceived on this. Yeah, the devil's the deceiver. Now watch it. Be not deceived. So the unrighteous are not going to heaven. That means people who have chosen an alternate lifestyle. They say they're a believer, but they're not going along with Jesus. I don't have much hope for this tattooed up crowd with long hair and the praise and worship bands. Jesus didn't have tattoos. Oh, I got it for Jesus. Not in this Bible you didn't get that. You're going along with something, but not the Jesus of this Bible. So ask yourself the question, how would I know that I'm lost? Well, what is your current state of affairs? How are you living your life? He says, the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So is your life, the center of your life, neither fornicators. You living in sin? You living in sex sins? Is that the center of your life? You shacked up? You living with somebody? It don't bother you five seconds? That's unrighteous. It's a sin. You say, well, that's my life. I'll do what I want. Jesus forgave me. You ain't even believed yet. You've not repented yet. Don't be deceived. Watch this. Neither idolaters. Are you worshiping idols? Is Dollywood more important than church? Is the water park more important than church? Do you want to lay out a church when it rains a little bit? You don't care about God or the ministry? You're a, you have idols in your life. Something's wrong. Is that your life? I know I'm making you uncomfortable, ain't I? I don't mean to. But I do want you to think because I don't want you to get at the great white throne judgment if you're not really saved and I'm standing there at the witness bar and Christ passes judgment on you and you look at me and you say, why did you not tell me? It's not going to happen as long as I'm pastor. I'm going to prod you a little bit. I don't want to see any person that's in this room right now go to hell. No way. No way. And God doesn't want to see nobody in this room go to hell. But I do believe that the devil has deceived some of you into thinking that you're saved and your life is a life of unrighteousness and you think you're okay. And you've not even pledged yourself to Christ yet. You've not believed with the whole heart. You've mentally assented. I believe Jesus is real. I believe the Bible is real. But you really don't care. Because sin is the most important thing. The I that's in the middle of your belief is yourself. I, 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 I. That's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to be Christ, Calvary, the cross. Nor abusers themselves with mankind. That's homosexuality. You cannot be practicing that and think you're saved nor effeminate. That's men wanting to be a woman and act like a woman. It's wrong. Nor thieves. Are you stealing and breaking into homes? Do you steal when you go to the grocery store? Nor covetous, nor drunkards. Alcohol's more important than God, than church, than family. Is pornography more important than your family and your wife and the church? You're lost. And you're deceived by the devil. Nor revilers. You're always mad. You're always angry and want to have something smart alecky to say when your number's been called. Nor extortioners. Ripping people off. 
shall, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. This is the people that get saved. I'm not saying you can't get saved. I'm saying if that's still your life, there's something wrong with your belief. You don't have a state of being that's been pledged to Christ. And such were some of you, but you're washed, but you're sanctified, but you're justified. Not so they could continue. He said, but such were some of you. That was the old life. They're not doing that no more. So my question is, don't give me your feelings. Your feelings can be manipulated. What did the Word of God say? Bypass the feelings. You could be on some prescription medicine that is messing with your mind. And you say, but I feel saved. Feelings has nothing to do with it. How is your state of mind? How's your state of being? How are you currently living in sin and one of those sin styles and it doesn't bother you? You have no intention on getting it right. You could care less. It doesn't bother you at night. It never keeps you awake. You don't think the hand of God's going to come down on you. You're lost. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. You could care less about church. You are lost and the devil has you deceived. And this preacher cries over your soul. It's serious business. I don't care what the church down the street, they might not ever confront you like that, but I will. And I'm not mad at you, even though it might look like I am. I know some of you have shut me down because I've adopted a tone, but I'm not trying to be mean and I'm not trying to use fear or intimidation in any way. But I am being very, very, very serious because souls hang in the balance and we do not know how much time we have left. And I promise you, if the rapture happens and you're not born again, you've got to go through the trib. And if you're listening to this message this morning, before the rapture, you're damned. Because you refuse to acknowledge the truth of the gospel. Philip told him, nothing else can happen in your life until you believe with thine own heart. A whole heart. And that means to pledge your life, your being, your existence is now. God is the center of it. And he says here in 2 Corinthians, because old things are passed away, all things have become new. If that's never happened in your life, you're still lost. You've not had a born-again experience. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. How's your ministry? Do you even have a ministry? Do you even tell other people about Christ? You want to know why you don't? Because you have nothing to tell. That's why. Your very psychology and how you're made up... You can't confess Christ to others because he's not in there. You can't confess to something that's not real. See, man, preacher, I know. We were due for one, though. I've been pretty sweet for a few months. I'm telling you, the devil has a lot of people today deceived. And they're deceived about that very simple 
little two-part word, believe. They think it means, I said a little sinner's prayer. I got my name on the church roll. I got baptized. I got me a little backpack. And I get a little prize on my birthday. I'm in. No. No, no, no. This Bible says when you believe with the whole heart, you're pledging yourself to go along and to follow Christ. Is that not what Jesus says? You need to deny yourself, take you out of the I and believe. It's not about you. And he said you deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Are you following Christ? Or is the ball game more important? Is fishing more important? Is anything else more important than God? Have you accepted God's coin? Have you pledged yourself? I know I have, and I've never looked back. My salvation is more real to me today than it was when I was six years old. But I'll tell you something to my dying day, that that day as a six-year-old boy hanging on to the back of a pew, when I walked out of that church today, after having given Christ my heart, everything was different. And when I begin to try to go astray, I become so miserable because the Holy Spirit of God, the coin God had given me, constrained me to a point that I had to get it right. You say, why? Because when you're the temple of the Holy Spirit of God, He will not allow you to defile that temple. He will chasten every son whom He loveth. I do not believe a person who's been saved, tell me they've been saved 20, 30 years, living in sin, they're not born again. They've been deceived. Using the same words, but they're using the devil's definition and not God's definition. When you come to God, you've got to use God's definition to the words and to believe. That Philippian jailer says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe. Now, why'd they use that word? That means that Philippian jailer was an imperial soldier. That means he worshipped a Caesar. That was his God. He believed. He had pledged himself to that Caesar. And they said, you're going to have to believe. That means you've got to renounce that and trust Christ and pledge yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why do you think he took them home that night and washed their stripes and fed them? And then he was baptized them because he got born again. He didn't have to wait 20, 20 years or six months after he went through a discipleship class to change. He changed immediately. How's your life? The question is not, preacher, how do I know if I'm saved? That's not it. The question is, how do I know if I'm lost? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is a good place to start. Is that your life? Is that how you're living right now and it doesn't bother you? You think everything's okay? God's just smiling at that? Nope. No, he ain't. Do you care about church? Do you care about brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you even read your Bible? Do you pray? 
You saying if I misread my Bible one day, I'm lost? No. Generally on a Mondays, I don't read it. Confession's good for the soul. It's a fault. Because I think I'm, I'm being saturated with all. No. But I, sometimes I take Mondays off. That's not right. That doesn't mean you're lost. You know what, though? That bothers me all day. <laughs> and somewhere on that prayer drive, <laughs> Lord, I'm just going to have to quit doing that. That's just not working out so well for me. And the Lord said, yeah, that's right. I can't renew your mind if you won't get in the book. Does that ever happen in your life? When's the last time you picked up your Bible? Good questions. Let's all stand this morning, please.